Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I'm excited because I know what you're about to receive this morning. I told you, uh, I guess it was a couple Sundays ago, that although it was never in our plan to ever plan a church, but we were just obedient and we've seen God's hand be on our church. I still had a list of people, always had a list of people in my head. I said, God, if I ever had a church, I would bring them in. And you're going to hear from somebody that was definitely on that list. John Bevere is in the house today. I'm telling you, I already heard the word at 9 9 a.m. service, and I just know it's going to be better, gooder. Can I use bad English? It's going to be gooder, even in this service. Um, If you're one of the, like, two people on planet Earth that has not heard of John Bevere, uh, let me just let you know he is an international communicator and preacher of the unadulterated truth of the Word of God. He is a best-selling author. He and his wife, Elisa, define powerhouse couples for the kingdom of God. Um, His family is here with him, and to me, that's the greatest testament. When you have kids that love Jesus and love you and love the ministry, how many know you are winning? You are winning. And so I want to say this, John, I've been so blessed by your ministry, by your books. I have stolen stuff from you that I need to pay uh, you for. But uh, I think the most, the thing I'm most thankful for is just your consistency in the kingdom of God. 35 years of preaching the gospel with integrity, with character, with power. I want you to put your hands together. Come on, give him a good old Texas welcome. John Levin. Can I say how delighted and absolutely honored I am to be here? And um, I uh, first met Pastor Robert uh, in New Zealand. We were both speaking in a leadership conference. His reputation preceded him. And, you know, it's always wonderful to me when you meet somebody and their reputation precedes them and they exceed it in person. Because most of you probably know Pastor Robert from the platform. Well, can I tell you, I've seen him in the back rooms. I've seen him with his wife. I've seen him with his dad. And I met Robert, and then I met Robert Sr., and I was like, oh, man, I really like this guy now. And anyway, um, what I love about this man of God is that he is humble and he is strong, both at the same time. And then I met Pastor Taylor, and oh, my goodness. I mean, I love it when a wife is standing right there with her husband, and she is gifted uniquely. And that's the way I've loved being married. I'm married 39 years with Lisa Bevere. And see, y'all, y'all know her more than you know me, of course, but I love that because um, I believe God calls couples. So Pastor Taylor, I'm so glad we finally get to spend time together. We met at the, uh, at the Bethel Conference, and, and we didn't get to talk to each other much. But I'm just so honored to be here standing on this platform. It, more than an honor, it's a great, great responsibility, and I don't take it lightly. I'm so excited because in my spirit, I see this church becoming absolutely massive. All right, and that's all right, okay? That's what you should want because there's a lot of people that need to hear the true gospel. And there's one thing I really believe about this man and woman of God is they will never water the gospel down. They will tell you straight. They will tell you straightforward. I mean, I was just getting blessed listening to you exhort both of you up here. So I am just 
thankful. Thank you so much. I hope this is the first of many. I hope we see each other much. I hope we grow in our friendship. And so I'm also extremely honored that our oldest son and his wife, Juliana and Addison, are here. There they are. Wave over there. And um, both of them are accomplished authors. Here's one of their books that was just published by uh, Ravel. It's called I Am, a book on identity that is so good. And Addison wrote a book called Saints. And Addison is a magnificent teacher of the Word of God. And so also here is our third-born son, Alec. He's actually back there helping me with the PowerPoint. And let me show you a picture of my family because I think that's the best way to introduce myself to you, all right? And so Addison and Julie, who are over here, they're on the extreme left. We've got a youngest son and daughter-in-law over here on the extreme right. Lisa and I have four sons. I mean, it's amazing, right? And then Austin and Jess is our second born. And then Alec is not yet married. He's my son that is here helping me today, but he is dating somebody gorgeous. And I'll just leave it there. And so um, also the little ones, those are our G-babies. You say, what's a G-baby? I'm way too young to be grandpa. So it's G-daddy and G for short. And we just had a brand new G-baby, and her name is Scarlett. Let's show her picture. There she is. She is amazing. And then this is Lexi. Lexi, and guess, and guess who took that picture? Pastor Taylor's sister, Shayla. Shaylee. Shaylee, I'm sorry, Shaylee. I change your name every time I say it. I'm so sorry about that. But anyway, um, she came to our home and filmed Lisa for a cover of a book for a couple days, and we got to be really good friends. And so anyway, that's my family. I am deeply in love with my family. I'm so excited this Christmas. They're all going to be with us. We gave them up for Thanksgiving. We get them for Christmas, so I'm excited about it. Amen? Hey, God's a family man, right? He's a daddy. He wants a big family, right? And you're part of the family, right? Now, I um, don't take lightly this uh, this responsibility to bring God's word to you today. I came in planning to preach one message, uh, kind of compliment the fear of the Lord study that you did in October, but both Pastor Robert and I both felt in our hearts that there's a different message that I want to bring to you today that I really feel goes along with what he's been sharing with you the last couple of weeks. We don't want to preach yesterday's word, we want to preach today's word, right? So anyway, I believe with all of my heart that your life can be totally changed in one service. Because it happened to me in 1987, I'll never forget it. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit that he would do that today. It's very, very important to me that I don't leave my family on Thanksgiving weekend and come here and just bring you a message. I want to see your life impacted forever and ever. So if you believe that the Holy Spirit can do it, and I don't want you to flatter the Holy Spirit by raising your hand when you don't believe it. If you really believe it, put up your hand. So put up your other hand. Because we don't have, because we don't ask, all right? So, Heavenly Father, we come before you as a family, and we thank you so very much for the privilege of being your sons and daughters. You could have called us slaves, made us slaves. We would have been better off than where we were, but you've made us your very own children. So today, Holy Spirit of God, your presence is in this place. I sense it so strongly. I'm asking that you would do what you love to do the most, and that is to glorify Jesus in a way like we've never known him before. As you do this, may we go from glory to glory and strength to strength and faith to faith. For I decree your kingdom has come within us. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven and even online and lord we ask that this in the mighty and the wonderful name of jesus and we give you all the praise the glory the honor and the thanksgiving and everybody that agrees shouts come on thank him in advance thank him in advance come on for what he's going to do Amen and amen. You can be seated. I also want to say hello to our friends Carly and Grant that are sitting over here. They used to work for us for years and now they're laboring in the kingdom here in Dallas. I love that. And so anyway, 
I hope next time I'm with you, the better half can be with me, right? All right, so today I want to open up by saying this. I believe that what we've experienced the last couple years is only a sabbatical before the greatest, for sabbatical, before the greatest move of God the earth has ever seen. You know, it's interesting. We have, um, we have passionately desired to give books to pastors and leaders overseas. We have about 90 coordinators all over the world that work with us. And uh, last year, I was on the phone or on a Zoom call with about 75 of them. Every one of them was on lockdown. And I realized this is the first time the earth, the entire earth has ever been put on a lockdown, right? It's just a sabbatical. Guys, get ready. We're entering into some of the most exciting days we've ever experienced. Amen? And, but the thing that has happened as a result of this, um, just everything that's happened the last two years, people have begun to almost regress, uh, protect, retreat. Let me tell you this. Jesus made a statement, and he said this, Occupy until I come, which means we are on the offensive, not on the defensive until he comes back. Good place to say Amen. So this uh, message that I'm going to share with you today actually is out of a, the newest book that I've written. It's called X. <laughs> Can you tell I got a bunch of millennials work for us? All right. M that's the title of the book is X. All right. Multiply your God-given potential. I thought it was quite clever. But anyway, um, this message really started stirring in my heart about seven years ago. And I'll open up with a couple of stories just to kind of set it up. Uh, uh, one of our partners who has helped us to give over 47 million physical resources to pastors and leaders in 226 nations in the last 11 years. He, he, he saw that I was going to be preaching at the LA Dream Center, and he called me in advance, and he said, John, have you ever played, everybody know, knows John Bevere likes to play golf. He said, John, have you ever played, uh, what was it? What, I can't even remember the name of the course. Anyway, it was one of the famous courses in LA, Riviera. And I said, no. He said, you want to? I said, absolutely. So we went out, we played, we had a great time. We're driving back to the hotel, and he said, John, can I be vulnerable with you for just a few minutes? He said, you know, I'm just turning 50. He said, I have worked my tail off for three decades to build my businesses up to where they are now. He said, my net worth's over $9 million. He said, you know, my wife is cared for life. My children are cared for life. My grandchildren are cared for life. He said, why should I work as hard over the next 10 years, the decade of my 50s, as I have the last three decades? And I, I knew this was a moment. I knew that you're just not going to give this guy an off-the-cuff answer because the words that I'm going to speak to him is going to shape his life for the next 10 years and possibly the rest of his life. And so rather than just giving him some answer, I looked inside and I said, Holy Spirit, I need help right now. I need to know how to answer this question. And the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And I said, well, Stan, I want to answer your question with a different scenario. As you know, I have written at that time, it was 17 books. It's now 22. I said, they're in over 100 languages. I have gotten on airplanes and I have flown in, in, in the last three decades. I've flown over 12 million miles all over the world. I've been in over 60 nations. I've stood in some of the largest platforms in the world. I've stayed in little hotel rooms, little 400 square hotel rooms, as many as 229 nights a year. I said, I've eaten some of the craziest foods. I've experienced different cultures. And I said, you know, my wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I get on another plane? Why should I write another book? And he laughed at me. I mean, he actually laughed at me. And you know what he said? He said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face Jesus. I thought, boy, you just set yourself up so bad. I said, Stan, you just said the exact same words. And I remember the smile left his face. He turned to me, and now he's angry at me. And he said, what, what are you talking about? I said, Stan, you must realize every child of God 
has a calling upon their life. And I said, with that calling comes unique, supernatural abilities. And I said, we can do one of three things with those supernatural abilities. We can use them only to build ourselves and our family. Number two, we can use them as intended to build the kingdom of God. Or number three, we can just sit on them and do nothing. And I said, the problem here, Stan, is you have connected my dots. I said, you see how my gifts of writing and speaking are building the kingdom. So the problem is you haven't connected your dots. I said, you do not see how the supernatural gifts on your life are meant to build the kingdom. And I said, in fact, let me say this, your gifts are more valuable than my gifts. He says, how do you get that? I said, the Bible says the parts of the body that are not seen are more valuable than the parts of the body that are seen. I said, I have seen gifts, you have unseen gifts. So six months later, he called me. He said, hey, John. I said, Stan, how you doing? He said, you want the honest truth? I said, yeah. He said, I've been haunted every single day for the last six months by the words you spoke to me. I said, well, what are you doing about it? He said, well, I'm going to busting my tail to build my business up to $35 million so that I can do more for the kingdom. And I got a text from him three months ago, and he said, $70 million Stan. So another example. A friend of mine pastors a very large church, and... Every year he does a leadership conference, and one of those years, it was just recently, he was walking in, it was like three years ago, he was walking into the, to the auditorium, and there was a very well-known medical doctor in his city putting pamphlets on the seats for the delegates that were going to come in the next day. And when he saw him, he rushed over to that very well-known medical doctor in the city, and he said, Doc, Doc, you do not need to be doing this. He said, we have volunteers and interns that will do this. And he said, the doctor rebuked him. The doctor looked at him and said, Pastor, I take one week a year off my medical practice so I can help build the kingdom of God. Please don't take this from me. Now, I have actually wept over this. I was doing a podcast months ago, and I started weeping when I started telling this story. Why? Because for 51 weeks a year, this man sees himself in the secular. He's earning a living. One week a year, he gets to be in the sacred to build the kingdom. See, for most believers that I talk to, their mentality is, when I'm, in, I'm, I'm at church my 90 minutes on Sunday, I'm in the sacred. When I'm in my quiet time in the morning, I'm in the sacred. When I go to my connect group, I'm in the sacred. But the rest of the time, I'm earning a living. I'm in the secular. That is such a lie. You are in the sacred 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Because there is something very, very important to every believer. We must know who we are in Christ, but we also must know what we're called to do in Christ. Because Jesus makes a statement. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Think about what food does. It strengthens you. Try doing, listen, try doing eight hours of hard work when you have not eaten in six days. You're not going to be able to do it. And then Jesus makes another statement in John 20, 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. So what does that mean? Your and my food is to do the will of him who sent us. One of the things that I have found that causes people to backslide in the church faster than anything else, and this is after 35 years of ministry, is when people disengage from what they're called to do. What happens? They get weak, and now they succumb to temptation so much easier. Good preaching. Amen. Thank you so much. So we're going to talk about this this morning. I want to open up, and in order to really bring to you the message that the Holy Spirit's placed in my heart, 
I need to establish three very important words. Can I do that really quick? All right, let's look at Romans 12, verse 6. And this is what I was talking to Stan about in that car. Having then gifts, everybody shout gifts. Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Not let us sit on them, let us use them. The first word I want to identify here this morning is the word grace. Now, if you will look at the word grace, the Greek word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. A survey was done a while ago, and in the survey, over 5,000 people were polled all across the United States. Now, I want to set this up. These people that were polled were born-again, Bible-believing, Sunday morning church-attending Christians, every one of them. The question was asked, give three or more one-word definitions of the grace of God. I want you to stop and think right now. When you hear grace, what goes through your mind? The overwhelming responses were salvation, a free unmerited gift, and forgiveness of sins. I think the fourth answer was the love of God. I'm so glad Americans understand that we are saved by grace and only by grace. That you cannot earn that grace and that it is by the grace of God our sins have been forgiven. Thank God Americans understand that. Here's the tragedy of the survey. Only 2%, did you hear what I just said? 2% of those that were polled said that grace was God's empowerment. Yet this is exactly how God himself defines his grace. He says to the Apostle Paul, look at these words, my grace is all you need for my power. So God refers to his grace as what? His power works best in your weakness. What would your weakness be? Your human inabilities. So God identifies his grace as his power, yet only 2% of the Christians in America understand that. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, grace be multiplied to you as his divine power has given to us everything we need to live a godly life. So Peter identifies the grace of God as his empowerment. If you look at Paul, Paul said, I did more labor than any other apostle. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. That's not talking about salvation and forgiveness of sins. That's talking about empowerment. If you look at the Macedonian church, they were able to give more than any other church. Why? It was not them. It was the grace of God. It gave them the ability to go beyond their natural ability. So what is my definition of grace after studying it for years? It is God's empowerment that gives us you and I, the ability, now look at this, to go beyond our natural ability. Come on, that's a good place to get excited. It's God's empowerment that gives you the ability to go beyond your natural ability. Now, let me tell you something. I know about the call of God on your personal life. I already know this about the call of God on your life. It is impossible. Listen to my words. It is impossible for you to fulfill what God's created you to do on this earth in your own ability. How do I know that? Because God said, nobody's ever going to glory in my sight. So what does God do then? He says, all right, I will make it so that it is impossible for you to fulfill what you've been created to do. Because if I made it possible for you to fulfill this in your own ability, I'd have to share the glory with you. So God on purpose makes your calling beyond your natural ability. So you have to depend on grace to fulfill it. Now here's what's really scary. According to Romans 5, 2, we have access to the grace of God through faith. In other words, you can't have anything from heaven unless you believe. But how many of you know you cannot believe what you don't know? So if only 2% of the Christians in America know the grace of God is God's empowerment, that means 98% of the Christians in America are trying to fulfill their calling in their own ability. 
What do you call a body that 98% of it doesn't work? You call it an invalid. This is why we have spent billions of dollars in the kingdom in America, yet we're not seeing an advancement like we should. Good preaching, John. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now, if you take the Greek word for grace, charis, you put an M and an A on it, what do you get? Charisma. That is the Greek word for the word gifts. Now, what is charisma? What's the definition of that Greek word? It is a specific gift of grace that empowers an individual to fulfill what they have been created to do. So in other words, what, let me use myself as an example. What would one of the charismas on my life be? It would be writing. Okay? Now, most of you don't know this, but my very worst subject in high school was English and creative writing and reading comprehension. You think I'm kidding, don't you? You think I'm saying this just because I'm on the platform and i got to make a nice message. No. Do you know that it used to take me about four hours to write a one-page paper? Do you know what I scored on the SATs in English? You know the SATs? Are you, you right, right? I scored 370 on the English out of 800. Let me help you understand how pathetic that is. In all my travels, I've only met two human beings that scored lower than me on the SATs. And one guy, because he guessed at all the answers, he was so mad at his parents for making him take it. Okay? So when God comes to me in 1991 and says, son, I want you to write. I'll never forget it in prayer. I, I, I forget. I remember where I was. It was a construction site. It was about 5 in the morning. And the Holy Spirit said, son, I want you to write. I said, okay, God, you have so many of us kids on the earth now, you're getting us mixed up with one another. You don't want me to write. Talk to my English teachers. And so he said nothing. Now, I took his silence as an agreement to my, my, my rebuttal, okay? So I do nothing for 10 months. 10 months later, two women come to me within two weeks of each other, and they both said the exact same words. They said, John Bevere, if you don't write what God's giving you to write, he will give the message to somebody else, and one day you'll stand in judgment for it. When the second woman said it from the state of Texas, two weeks after the first woman from Florida, the fear of God hit me. And I said, I better write. So what I did is I got a notebook piece of paper. I tore it out of a spiral notebook. And I, I got a Sharpie and I wrote contract on the top. I wrote a contract with God. And I said, God, I think you're making a huge mistake. You have much better writers. I can't write. So I need grace. And I didn't even know grace empowers us. And I signed the contract. Now today, the books are in the tens of millions. They're in 129 languages in the earth. Do you know that Lisa and I are the most published authors in the entire nation of Vietnam, secular or Christian? And, I can say, and we can say that about at least 40 other languages. Example, I, I, we, we went to Seoul, Korea. The very first time we went to, oh, actually, it's only been the only time I went to Seoul, Korea, to do a national conference. They said to me, they said, would, would, you, would you like to do a press conference? We really would like that. I said, well, if you want me to, sure. So I'm expecting six reporters to be in the room. I walk in the room, and there's 32 reporters, five television stations, and the third largest newspaper in the nation. And the first words out of my mouth were, what are you all doing here? And they said, well, your book's been on the top 10 bestseller list in Korea for the last two years every month. And so let me tell you, when I look at these books, the reason my name's on it is because I was the first guy to get to read it. Because it, I know who wrote that book. It's not my ability to write. It's his ability on me called charisma. Another charisma in my life would be speaking. Do you know the very first time Lisa heard me preach after we got married 39 years ago? Do you know, do you know, she fell asleep five minutes into the message and slept my whole message on the front row, right where you are. 
She's, and her best friend sitting next to her had drool coming out of the side of her mouth. Yeah, I preached the message to them on the front row. Now, today I speak to 5,000 people, 10,000 people, uh, 35,000 people in one nation. People say, you get nervous before you stand before 35,000 people. No, I never do. And they, and they think I'm being arrogant. I'm not being arrogant. I know how bad I am. I remember I found that master tape. Some of you will have to, most of you will have to Google this, a tape. It's called a cassette tape. It is prehistoric, okay? But I found the master of when I put her to sleep, and I went to throw it away, and the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. And I went, no, no, nobody should ever hear that message again. I put my wife to sleep the whole message. I said, nobody should ever, and I went to throw it away. He said, don't do it. And I said, can I please have some understanding why? He said, because I always want you to know how bad you are without me. So, my own son doesn't even know where that tape is, okay? It is buried where nobody will ever get their hands on it, but it is a reminder to me. Are you with me? Okay, so, let me give you the third word. Are you ready for the third word? All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Paul, the apostle, says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody shout stewards. Now, you don't hear the word steward very much nowadays. What is a steward? Here's the definition of a steward. A steward is someone who manages what belongs to somebody else. Okay? So who would be a steward for me? Uh, the guy that, his name is Tony, the guy that does my 401k. Now, let me tell you one of the definitions about a steward. A steward is not micromanaged. Okay? I am not calling Tony every other day saying, where did you invest that? What did you do with that? What did you? Are you kidding? He has to chase me down once a year. I don't really want to talk to him. Because he knows so much more than me. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to talk to him. Because why? I'm not micromanaging, but he is managing what belongs to me. The best example of a steward in the Bible is Joseph. Joseph started out as a slave in Potiphar's house, but he went on to become a steward of his entire household. And the, you know what the Bible says about the owner, Potiphar? Potiphar had no idea what was going on in his household except for the food that was at his table. That's an example of a steward. Now, the question becomes, what are we stewards of? Charisma. The ability to write is not my ability. The ability to speak is not my ability. I am stewarding his ability, but it doesn't belong to me. You still tracking with me now? Are you getting this? Now, let me, let me, let me can, can, can I kind of address something? Do you, do you know what a lot of people have? This is, this is a thought that a lot of people have. They think, if I'm godly, if I'm Christ-like in my behavior the gift of God in me will automatically work. The answer is no. Okay, if you look, there's not a more godly, Christ-like man in the New Testament than Timothy. Paul wrote to the entire Philippian church and bragged on that guy. He said, I have never met a man with more Christ-like character. Yet Paul has to write two letters to that young man later and say, Timothy, your gift, your God-given gift is inoperative. It's not working. Engage it. So you see... If Timothy, if walking in godly, Christ-like character engages the gift, Timothy would have had to engage to the maximum potential. But Paul had to tell him, engage it. How is it engaged? On purpose, through faith. Good preaching, amen. Are you getting this? All right, let's look at a verse that brings all three of these words together, and then I can bring you the message this morning. All right, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one, everybody say, as each one. Now, notice it doesn't say, as each pastor. 
It doesn't say is each worship leader, is each missionary, is each fivefold minister. If you're born again and you are filled with God's Spirit, guess what? You have a gift or gifts. What are those gifts? What is that gift or gifts for? To empower you to be able to do what you were created to do on this earth, to build the kingdom. All right? As each one has received a gift, Greek word is charisma, minister it to one another. So we're seeing this. Don't sit on it, right? Use them, right? Minister to one another as good stewards. There's that word stewards. What are we stewards of? Come on, everybody say it. Shout it. Charisma. And you put all the charismas together, and what do you get? The manifold grace of God. Okay, so in other words, Paul does this, does it better than anybody. I haven't been able to think of a better example. If you look at my body, my body has many different members. I mean, people study this body for eight years in medical school, and they still don't get it. I have many different members, right? And all my members have different abilities. In other words, my fingers can do things, my eyes can't do, my eyes can do things, my stomach can't do, my stomach can do things, my liver can't do, and I could go on and on and on. Happy is the man or woman who knows their gift and operates in it. Miserable is the man or woman who tries to operate in somebody else's gift. Wouldn't it be really amazing when I woke up this morning at the hotel, my, my thumb said to my mouth, you know what, I've had it, you've been preaching for 35 years, I'm going to preach the social this morning. So now what's happening? You are getting frustrated, and so is my thumb. When you try to operate in somebody else's gift, you frustrate not only yourself, but everybody in your world of influence. Amen, good preaching. Still with me? All right, now I've introduced the three words. Now I can bring to you the message. And, and relax, it's only going to take 10 to 15 minutes, okay? All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says this. He says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards. <laughs> Everybody say, I'm a, I'm a steward. What are you a steward of? Come on, shout it. You got it. Now, you see the dot, dot, dot? Why did I do that? Because Paul talks about his specific stewardship, his gift. And you know what he said about that gift in this book? Do you know what he said in this letter? He said, woe is me if I don't operate in this gift that God's entrusted to me. That's how serious this is. I want you to say this. Woe is me if I don't operate in God's gift. Why is that? Because the people don't get what God intended them to get if you don't operate in it. If I don't preach... People don't get to hear the word of God that I've been entrusted with. If I don't write, people don't get to hear the word of God I've been trusted with. I will stand in judgment for it. If you don't operate in your gift. Now, it's a manifold. Everybody say manifold. I, I want to say this. A lot of people limit the gifts to only operating inside the four walls of the church. Maybe 1% of them work inside the four walls of the church. 99% of them are meant to be operated out there. Amen. I mean, where do you find Akiana's gift of being able to print or paint the Prince of Peace portrait that's now worth over a million dollars when she was eight years old? Where's that gift written in the Bible? Where, where is the man or woman's gift of being able to uh, remove a tumor out of somebody's body? Where is that written in Scripture? I remove a tumor from your body. You're dead. They do it. You live. Are you, and these gifts are given by God. Listen that we should stand out because my Bible says we're the head and not the tail. We're above only and not beneath. Hey, I've lived in Colorado for 22 years and I never have seen an elk where its tail was leading the head. 
But yet we go to the world for our inspiration. We go for the world for our ideas. Why are we doing that? Daniel distinguished himself. He distinguished himself among the government leaders of the number one nation in the world called Babylon. He came out of a little podunk country called Israel, and he ends up being 10 times smarter, wiser, more innovative and creative than their best leaders. Can you imagine what those guys were doing? They were scratching their heads going, we've been taught by the finest. Where is he getting these ideas from? Because he got promoted above everybody. See, if you're an ER nurse, if you're an ER nurse, you should be coming up with ways of treating people and saving people's lives. It causes the doctors to scratch their heads and say, where is she getting these ideas from? We have far more education than she, she gets it from her charisma. If you're a third grade school teacher, you're coming up with ways of communicating wisdom and knowledge to your students that causes everybody else in the high school to scratch their heads going, where's she getting this from? Charisma. She's the head. She's not the tail. Isn't that amazing? Not only do you get saved from hell forever, but you get to be the head. Is anybody happy in here about that? Okay. Okay. Moreover... Thanks for leaving the scripture up. It is required. Everybody say required. required. There's one thing required of a steward. What is it? Shout it. No, no, no. Shout it. Faithful. The one requirement of a steward is to be found faithful. One. Okay, now, I'm not going to take the time to do it, but I've talked to leadership groups for 10 years now, and I've never, let me just say this. I've asked them time and time again, give me your one-word definitions of faithful. Right? So I compiled a list of the most popular answers I've had 10 years of asking leadership groups. Steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, and truthful. I mean, I'm so proud of these groups because if you go to the thesaurus, you will find all these words listed as synonyms for the word faithful. Here's the tragedy. In 10 years, I have never heard one individual, one, not one, who gave one of the most important definitions of the word faithful. And what is that definition? Multiplication. You say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Multiplication is not a definition of faithful. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, no, Webster doesn't say that. Well, he should have. He was a Jesus follower. Because Jesus defined faithful as multiplication. He did? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. Where? In the parable of the talents. Okay, so let's, let, let's go through the parable of the talents. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. Stop right there. He doesn't count, call outsiders. He calls people that are inside of his kingdom. He called his own servants. Now watch this. And he delivered what? He delivered what? His goods. In other words, he's saying, manage what belongs to me. And remember, a steward is not micromanaged. Because Jesus says twice in this parable, he goes on a long trip. And they didn't have FaceTime back then. So he entrusts what he owns to them. And he says, do business until I return. Now, I'm going to personalize this to make it more fun. Allison gets five talents. Now, what in the world is a talent? A talent is just simply a bag of silver. It's actually a pretty big bag. It's about this big. Okay? Now, how many of you know in parables, Jesus is never really talking about what he's talking about? Correct? I mean, seed is not seed. He's talking about scripture. Wheat is not wheat. He's talking about good people. Tares are not tares. They're actually bad people. He's not talking about bags of silver. 
What is he talking about? What, is, what have we been made stewards of? Come on, shout it. All right, so Ashley gets five charismas. Got it? Dave gets two. And if your name's Larry, no identification intended. Larry gets one. Okay? Now, this guy's gone on a long trip. And what do Ashley and Dave do? They multiply their talents. Okay? So Ashley goes from five to ten. Dave goes from two to four. Larry, on the other town, uh, on the other hand, lockdown Larry maintains his one. Okay? So now watch this. The master comes back after the long trip, and Ashley and Dave come before him because he's going to sit in judgment over how they handle what he entrusted to them. Okay? So when he sees that they multiplied... Look what he says to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if I stop right there, you cannot equate the word faithful and multiplication. However, look at the next three words. You were faithful. There is no other action or virtue ascribed to these two servants in this parable other than the fact that they simply multiplied. So that tells me right there that Jesus directly equates multiplication with faithful and faithful with multiplication. So in other words, we as his people, when we hear the word faithful, we need to think multiplication. See, when we sing songs and the word faithful's in it, my, my brain hears multiplication. Are you seeing this? You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, here comes Larry. All right, you ready for Larry? Then Larry, who had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Problem number one, he doesn't understand the character of his father, of his Lord. And that's why I love this church, the way it's being built. It's because this is a house that honors the presence of God. And you will never know the character of your father unless you're in his presence. Good preaching, amen. Okay. I knew you to be a hard man. Now watch this. And I was afraid. Number one reason. Number one reason your gift is, not, is disengaged is because of intimidation, fear, and timidity. Number one reason. It was the reason Paul, uh, Timothy's gift was disengaged. He was intimidated. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. But he didn't lose it. He maintained it. Okay? Look at the answers, look at the master's response. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, not outsider. Remember, these guys are in the kingdom. We're not talking salvation here. We're talking labor. And remember, at the judgment seat of Christ, we don't get, we don't get judged for our sins. We get judged for our labor. And decisions will be made over our life, and the way we spend eternity is going to be determined by how we lived now. Boy, that's, that's really sobering when you think about it, all right? You wicked and lazy servant. Now, how many of you know Jesus never uses words carelessly like we use words carelessly? So I got, some, I got to get some understanding on this word wicked. Let me do the easy one, lazy. We all know what lazy is defined as, shrinking from or hesitating to engage in something worthwhile. What does this word wicked mean? The definition of this Greek word is possessing a serious fault and consequently being worthless in regard to our labor. So what does this tell us? God views multiplying, those who multiply, as good and faithful servants. 
God views those who maintain as wicked and lazy. Now, does this change your paradigm, the way you look at faithful? Because our paradigm was, well, if I just show, to ser- show up to service on time and I make enough money to feed my family, I'm being faithful. Well, I would challenge you to look at that view in the light of this parable. Do you really think you would hear well done, good and faithful? Or do you think you'd hear the other? Sure is quiet in this Methodist church. <laughs> See, you know what's amazing to me? Our thinking on who God is gets shaped by our society. And I'll tell you why. Because we spend more time on social media and in mainstream media than we do reading the Bible. And so no wonder we think God is certain ways that he's not. Just ask yourself on any given day, just, just help yourself out. Just say, did I, was, I, did I, was I on social media longer than I was in the Bible today? No wonder you think the way you do. And no wonder you're almost ready to walk out on me right now. Maybe some of you are. And that's okay because you know what? You won't sleep tonight or tomorrow night, but you'll realize this is what the scripture says. And it's amazing to me how many people today are not, they're thinking, I just read it this morning, my time in the Word this morning, I was in Matthew and I was in Romans. And you know what Romans says? Do not think like the world, but be completely transformed. And there's only one way you can get transformed, by the renewing of the way you think. And the way you renew what you think is by reading the Word of God. Come on, sister. Come on. Amen. Okay, it gets worse. I'm serious. The next verse is the one that's like, oh my gosh. Here's the next verse. Jesus goes on to say, for to everyone who multiplies. Now, the, word, the scripture says has, but let's read it. This is in context. For to everyone who multiplies, more will be given and he or she will have an abundance. So God's got no problems with abundance. Matter of fact, it's his will. But he's got a problem with abundance having us. There's the difference. Abundance is a tool to build lives. Building the kingdom is building lives. And you know what's really sad? Is you and I are the only ones in the universe that can limit God. Do you realize that? We're the only ones in the universe that can limit him. Because he gave the authority to man on the earth. And that's why the Bible says Israel limited the Holy One. They limited him because they didn't believe. Still with me? For to everyone who has, for everyone who multiplies, more will be given, and he or she will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, well, let's read it in context, but from him or her who maintains, even what they have is going to be taken away. There's your promise. Words are in red, straight from Jesus' mouth. You're lazy, what you have will be taken away and it'll be given to somebody else. Use what you have for just the world and you're a Christian, you're gonna lose it. You'll lose it. Well, it's been 20 years and I haven't lost it. <laughs> and you're judging life through 70 or 80 years. Have you ever thought, stopped and thought we are eternal beings? You will lose it. Still with me? John, where's your compassion? There's a difference between compassion and empathy and sympathy. 
God called us to preach the truth in love. That's why I love this man and this woman. They preach the truth in love. They smile a lot while they cut you open. And that's good. That's really good. And then they get you laughing about it. And that's a gift. Still with me? You know, I remember, and this is how this whole message started. Beta Satan has now sold close to 2 million copies, right? And I remember I was so frustrated because I'd go to these conferences and I'd speak on the Beta Satan. It's a book I wrote. It's a, and I'd get one and a half chapters out and most of the people would leave the conference and nobody got the book. Or Well, not nobody. 600 out of 10,000 got the book. And I'm like, what about the other 9,300 people? Because there's so much more in the message than just what I preach for that 40 minutes, right? So God gave me this idea. He said, create a curriculum. And we created a curriculum, our team. And over 25,000 churches were using our curriculum. We had sold over a million of those curriculums to churches. And I come in from playing golf one day. Why does good things in golf always happen? I, I just wonder. But anyway, um, I come in. Lisa's in England. She's speaking at uh, a conference over there. And I, I sit down in my basement. I start reading the book of Daniel. And the Spirit of God fills my entire basement. And this is his exact words. Son, you've been faithful with the English-speaking community. I want you to get your resources in the hands of every pastor in the world that can't afford them. I'm like, what? But the word he used was faithful. And this is before I knew faithful meant multiplication. I didn't know it. But the exact word he said to me, you've been faithful. I thought, okay. So now, as a result, in the past 11 years, the first year, our ministry gave away 271,700 books to pastors and leaders in 54 nations and 46 languages. Now, on average, we are giving away between 6 and 8 million physical resources to pastors and leaders all over the world every single year. In the last, in the last... 11 years, we've given away over 47 million physical resources to pastors and leaders. 2 million of them have been in Iran alone. 1.8 million of those have been in Arabic-speaking world alone. I could go on and on. There's a friend of mine. Let me tell you one last story, and then I'm going to close. A friend of mine, his name is Mike. And I called Mike three times because I want to make sure I had his story correct. But Mike got saved when he was 11 years old. And at the age of 35, this is his exact words, he got fed up with being a fruitless Christian. So I said, Mike, what'd you do? He said, I memorized 2,000 scriptures in the next six months. Smart man. He sharpened the ax. See, wisdom is sharpening the ax. So he got God's wisdom. Well, that six months, he went to Tommy, Pastor Tommy Barnett's pastor school. There's about 5,000 people that would go to that conference every year. He's at the conference. He's so broke. As a 35-year-old man, he has to live with 11 college students in a two-bedroom apartment. Okay? He's so broke. Pastor Tommy gets up during the conference and says, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to give. So Mike said, I went out and found a cactus, got underneath the cactus, because that's what Pastor Tommy said to do, because there's so many cactuses out there. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Mike and said, son, I want you to give $200. And Mike retorted, God, that is every penny to my name. And you know what the Lord said back to him? Son, I'm not asking you for any more. You'll get that in a few hours. So he said, John, I gave every penny to my name. I gave every penny. He said, I had to bum money just to get gas to get home to West Texas. 
He said, I get home, God starts giving me ideas. This is the way multiplication always begins. It's through a divine inspired idea. God started giving me ideas. I started acting on the ideas. He said, I started making money. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to give $100 above my tithe every month. The next year, I felt like the Lord challenged me and said, I want you to give $400 above your tithe every single month. The next year, it went to $1,000 every month above his tithe. The next year, it went to $2,000. The next year, it went to $2,500. The next year, it went to $3,500. The next year, it went to $5,000. He said, then it went to $10,000. Then it went to $17,000. And then he said to me on the phone, he said, now, John, that's where it really kicks in. I said, bro, it kicked in a long time ago for me, okay? He said, then it went to $25,000. Then it went to $35,000. Then it went to $50,000. He said, then it went to $100,000. Then he said it went to $150,000 every single month above his tithe. I said, Mike, how much do you live on? He said, you know, it's really interesting that you asked me that. He said, my accountants just told me that this year. He said, they've looked at my taxes throughout all the years. And he said, they told me that I live on average... 10 to 15% of my income. He gives away 85 to 90% of his income every year. And you should see how good he lives on that 10 to 15%. And I asked him about it, and he said, well, you always get wet when you're in the river. Now, not only, listen, not only has he been faithful with that, but now pastors ask him to come all over, all over the country. They ask him to come and teach their people on giving. So he's multiplying now that way. To whom To him who has, more will be given, and he or she will have an abundance. You're sitting there right now, you're going, John, you're putting so much pressure on me. Then you missed the whole message. This is not pressure on you. This is pressure on grace. It's not your ability. See, the the apostles got frustrated with Jesus one day. They screamed out, what do we do to do the works of God? And he said, you want to know? Believe. I'm putting pressure on your believer, not on, not on your ability. It's how you believe. It's how you believe. God's number one command to man, what he, first commandment to man when he puts him on the planet, be fruitful and multiply. What was he saying? Anything I give to you. He wasn't just saying have babies. He was saying anything I give to you, return it back to me, multiply. Jesus amplifies that commandment out in the parable of the talents. Did you get something out of this today? Did you get something? Amen. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.